0: If you were here last uh, Wednesday, you know we began this series and it's framed around just the the simple notion that Christ has commanded us to be self-feeders, to be students of the Bible independently. The truth is, many a Christian tends to just come to church to be fed and does very little by way of personal Bible study. Even the Christians that desire it often feel quite insecure when they attempt it. Because when you sit down, you got your Bible open on your lap, you're in your lazy boy at home or you got your favorite desk spot at the house and you try to start studying, you get a minute in and you're thinking, I don't know what this means. I am so lost so confused and not altogether good at reading. I just don't have what it takes to get the job done. And this class is designed to help you fulfill Christ's great calling on your life as Second Timothy 2 and verse 15 says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker that has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling the word of truth. My prayerful intent is for each and every one of us after this six-week series, to be able to obey to our own ability Christ's command to us in this text, to be able to rightly understand or handle God's Word. Now, I framed this around six simple skills. I, I tried to make this as accessible as possible, recognizing that there's a wide variety of Bible knowledge backgrounds represented in the room, perhaps a wide variety of education backgrounds in the room. And so I wanted to make these skills as widely applicable as possible. And I dare say that if you can get a grip on these simple six skills, you will be well-equipped to open your Bible and to make sense of it. Maybe after 30 years of walking with the Lord and it seems like you're never really able to make sense of it yourself. If you can get these six skills down, I trust you too can rightly handle the word of truth. Now, the first skill that I uh, explained last week is admittedly odd. That first skill that I wanted you guys to seal to your soul is that you need To learn to see, which is a little ridiculous, I get. But the reason why I want you to really pay attention to this skill, by the way, it's this skill that most pastors tend to skip. It's this skill that many students of the Bible tend to skip because it's easy to just go straight to a commentary. It's easy to just go straight to a sermon it's easy to just go quickly to somebody else telling you what the text means if you want to be familiar with it on your own right you need to stop slow down and learn to see what's already there seeing we do not see remember all those illustrations i used last week that all too often so many of us see things but we don't really see them you Drive by the same number of houses on your street every week, but many of you probably couldn't tell me off the top of your head how many are on your street. You look at the same tree that's been in your front yard for the last 20 years, but the truth is, you probably couldn't tell me how many branches, which by the way are quite distinguishable aspects of that tree. All of us can count that high, but you haven't really ever paid attention to it. How many of you could tell me what your wife wore to church on Sunday? You sat next to her in church. You surely looked at her. She probably asked you if she looked okay. And you still don't remember because the truth is seeing we do not see. When it comes to the Bible, how often is it that You're just kind of like glazing over the text. You're reading things. You're generally familiar with some stuff, but you kind of miss almost everything. You're just just skimming over it. You need to slow down, and you don't need to have a PhD to do this. You just need to have two eyes and a brain and slow down and just look at what's there and write down everything you don't understand. It could be as simple as an exercise in proving to your wife or your husband or your children or grandchildren, here's everything I don't know about this text. But just the sheer act of slowing down and paying attention to what's there and writing down anything and everything you see, including anything and everything you don't understand, it's amazing. Trust me, if you do this, it's amazing what it will do to help you understand the Bible. Oftentimes people are shocked that NFL coaches, you're thinking an NFL coach, when he's out there with his team, the last thing you would expect him to emphasize is basic blocking and tackling. You'd think that if they've made their way to the pros, they have finally got that down, right? That seems like peewee football, maybe JV, but my word come pro, do we really need to emphasize this? And some of the best coaches in the league emphasize the basics of the game because it is at this basic level where the game tends to be won or lost. So too, as simple as it might seem to just use your two eyes and look at what's there. If you miss this, you're going to miss everything. Now, the truth is tonight I had several of you come in and there were two types of responses to this first assignment, so to speak, I gave you this first skill. Some of you said, pastor, thank you for that. That really helped me. It's amazing what I saw. It's amazing what my eyes were open to. I praise God, I'm even seeing some of you nodding your heads in response that you two similarly slowed down and just began to look at what's there and it's amazing how engaged you get. But the truth is there were some others of you that said, Kyla, this was tough. I I, kind of got a little bored doing it. I just didn't, I didn't quite understand it. I didn't know what I was looking for. I, I found it hard and that leads me to the second skill that I want to seal to your soul tonight. This second skill is critical, but when I say it, it might sound a little condescending. And so forgive me, it's not intended as such. But I want you to not only learn to see, I want you to secondly learn to read. (laughs) Now, I know that sounds a little ridiculous, but how many of you by a show of hands know this to be true? That when you sit down, and you read a book of any kind, you get going, and before you know it, you've read a few pages and have no idea what you just read. Raise your hands if you've done that. Two hands and two feet for me. I've had to do all kinds of degrees where they make you read all kinds of books, and I can't tell you how many books that I have been reading, and I recognize after about 20 minutes, I couldn't tell you one thing I just read. I was literally reading every word. It's not like I was thinking about my grocery list. I was actually reading, but I just really wasn't getting what I was reading. The truth is, in the same way that many of us see, but don't really see, a lot of us read, but don't really read. We're We're reading. We we know the basics. I'm not going to teach you basic reading skills tonight. I I assume we all are literate. I'm going to teach you tonight, Lord willing, how to be a better reader. And I'm going to frame these uh, principles around Bible reading. I'm going to encourage you tonight with 10 principles behind how to read the Bible better. But before we do that, I want to ask the Lord to help our time. So why don't you join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll commence our study this evening. Father in heaven, I'm asking now that you would come and that by the power of your spirit, you would encourage these men and women who have gathered to become better students of your word. Lord, I do ask that it would be found true of me and all who can hear my voice, that we would be faithful to fulfill your commission to us in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, that we would study to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen who have no need to be ashamed, rightly, rightly, handling your word of truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to consider with me for a moment that the infinite God, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, him whose hand is not short, who can do all that he pleases, him whom no person of any power or rank can thwart his will. This is almighty God we're talking about. Just consider with me anew that this great God who has revealed himself to his measly creation, you and me, have you ever considered how he chose to reveal himself? He could have done it visually. He could have physically come down like he did at the incarnation in the person and work of Jesus Christ and stayed We could be experiencing Jesus revealed physically, bodily, every moment of every day. He could have done it visually. He could have done it audibly. He could be speaking audibly into every one of our ears this moment. How wonderful would it be to have the Lord Almighty be your alarm clock in the morning? He could have done it audibly. He could have done it Tangibly, he could have left all these physical reminders of who he is and not just mere physical reminders like the great creation that points to a maker, but he could have left clear signals that there is a God in heaven who does all that he pleases, but he has not chosen to reveal himself visually, merely, audibly, or tangibly. What's wild is that God in his infinite wisdom has seen fit to principally reveal himself to you and to me through words, through writing, through the Bible, through reading. Now, just consider that if God in his wisdom has seen fit, that the way we should know him is through the means of reading does that not underscore how critical it is for Christians to learn to read? Do you recognize that it is actually this very truth that led a lot of the literacy movements uh, centuries ago? Many uh, Western civilizations, including the formation of education in the United States, was motivated by the notion that we've got to educate our children so that they can read the Bible. If God has spoken, we need to be able to understand what he said to us. And since he isn't speaking audibly, he's speaking in words. Kids need to understand words. So too, brothers and sisters, we need to. Now, again, I recognize that most of us in this room can read, I trust. Literacy, I bet it's a 99% rate in this room. The truth is, though... It's one thing to read and it's another thing to read well. And tonight I want to help you learn to read the Bible better. How do we understand what God has said to us in the Bible in a way that's consistent and efficient? Because I know some of us in this room don't fancy themselves as readers. How many of you by a show of hands would say, Kyler, I'm an admitted bookworm. I just like reading. It's enjoyable to me. Man, that's actually terrific. Now, how many of you, be honest, would say, Kyler, 10 times out of 10, I'd rather watch TV. I appreciate the honesty. It's true. Ours is a visual age. And so tonight what I want to do is I will admittedly be speaking more to those of us who are less inclined towards reading to consider this. But even you bookworms in the room, lend me your ear because I think these principles are going to help you as you consider how do I make sense of what God has said to me in his word. So if you're taking notes, I want you to underscore some of these with me. The first thing I want you to consider is when it comes to reading the Bible, the the first principle you need to take seriously is you need to learn to read thoughtfully. Learn to read thoughtfully. Now let's just roll around in our mind what the word thoughtful means. What does it mean to be thoughtful? If your wife tells you, man, Kyler, you've really been thoughtful. What do you think my wife meant when she said that? She probably means, man, this is really refreshing. You're being more attentive than usual, Kyler. If only that were more true of me, or you know Kyla, you've been really intentional you you seem less distracted tonight You're, you feel focused on the family, thank you for being so thoughtful that's what it means to be thoughtful it's it's focusing, trying to get rid of distractions and doing so in an attentive way. And the truth is, when it comes to reading, if you try to do so unthoughtfully, you will very quickly find yourself, like I have so many times, where you're reading but not really reading. This is not thus saith the Lord, it's thus saith Kyler. But let me commend you three ways that you can read more thoughtfully, more attentively, uh, with more focus. One way is, I really do want to encourage you guys to ask questions when you read let me give you two illustrations oftentimes we go to books like we go to tv shows we're mere spectators sit soak you tell me what i need to know it's almost entertaining now, that's okay to read with a novel. Novels are kind of meant to be that way. But when it comes to reading the Bible, if you come as a spectator, the truth is you're probably going to zone out quickly. I want to encourage you, don't be a spectator. Be, for lack of a better word, an investigator. When you go to the Bible, I want you to go to it, maybe as an investigator would, trying to figure out what's going on here. Ask questions of anything you read get out a notepad and start notating down some of the things you don't understand i've said this now but let me belabor the point once again if you feel insecure that you don't have enough bible knowledge to be a student of the bible one of the greatest skills you can master is writing down everything you don't understand If you can actually make it a practice to just start putting down on the paper, I don't get this, I don't get this, I don't get this, I don't get this, it's like magic. Just trust me. If you do it, it's amazing how much you're gonna actually start understanding, how much you're actually gonna start learning because you're gonna start realizing now you know what to look for. You finally have the right questions and you can go find the right answers. Ask some questions. Related is write notes down. I want to encourage you guys, every time you got your Bible out, you need to remember this, that there is an old adage that's just true. Men and women retain what they record. Y'all ever found it to be true that if you don't write something down, it's going to be forgotten? You don't write down something on the grocery list, you will forget it at the grocery store. You don't write down some important date, it will be out of sight, out of mind. What we record We retain. And so I want to encourage you, when it comes to reading the Bible, you need to record what you're reading, and I promise you, if you start making a habit of this, you will retain far more than you ever thought possible. So start writing some notes down, and in addition to that, I want to encourage you, if you are one of those folks, and by the way, a lot of people are this way, I'm just going to encourage you to reconsider. A lot of people treat their Bible like a precious artifact, this Gift that should never be touched, marked in any way, shape, or form. If you've got a family heirloom Bible, I get why you don't want to do anything to it. But I want to encourage you, we live in a day and time where Bibles are so affordable. Purchase a Bible if you are unwilling to mark up your existing Bible. Get one that's more affordable that you would be okay marking up in. And when you read the Bible, read it with a highlighter in one hand and a pen or pencil in the other. Every Bible I ever read, I mark up like crazy, In fact, I don't really have much of a system. It's more like kind of a mad scientist. I'm circling, underscoring, and highlighting whatever hits me, and there's no method to my madness. But here's why I do it it is a way for me to actively read. If I don't do that, my mind will quickly start wandering. It helps me engage, it helps me think, it helps me ask questions. So every Bible I ever read, I mark up. And you're thinking, oh, I just feel really weird doing this. Here's some motivation. Do you want to know what I do after I finish a Bible that's all marked up? I give it as a gift to somebody I love. What a precious gift your grandchild or child or spouse could receive from you than a Bible that you have been engaged with for a year or two. And it's been marked up by you. I can't tell you how many people lose a grandmother or a grandfather. And one of the most precious gifts they receive from their estate is their Bible. My uh, father's mother... No, forgive me. My father-in-law's mother recently passed and he had uh, her Bible. And it was amazing to go through and see. She would check mark every verse she read over all of her 50 plus years of walking with Jesus. And over the years, there were like 10 check marks next to almost every verse throughout the entire Bible. What a precious gift that he had as a written record of how she walked with the Lord. I want to encourage you guys to mark up your Bible. First, learn to read the word thoughtfully. But related, I want you to also consider reading the word, for lack of a better word, creatively. Now, here's what I mean. When you read the Bible, one of the challenges, if you've actually made it through the whole Bible, is what do you do when you're done? If you actually read Genesis to Revelation, do you know what you start the next day? Rinse and repeat. I do that every year, usually twice a year. And I've been doing it for a long time. Now, the problem with that is though it is true that when you repeat something, repeating tends to breed retention, it helps you get more and more familiar. There's another problem, though. When you start repeating, the old adage, familiarity breeds contempt, starts to creep in. And you're like, I've already read this. How many times can I read the book of Ruth? I've read this. What, can I get anything else out of this? I think I've like squeezed it dry. What is there to get? And this is where I want to encourage you to start reading creatively. Reading creatively might involve some of these different strategies. Just consider a few of these with me as you're reading the Bible. A one would be, well, read entire books. So if you're one of those folks that just kind of devotionally picks out verses, remember that the Bible is not a series of pearls on a string. It's a story from beginning to end. So, Start at the beginning of a book and work through it. It was written to be read from start to finish. Do you realize there are 66 books of the Bible? And of those 66 books, 45, uh, 40 of them, rather, you can read in under an hour. In one sitting, 40 of the 66 books, the average reader could sit there and read it in under an hour. Now, if that still feels like a lot of time to you, 32 out of the 66 books You could read in under 30 minutes. A good number of them you could read in 15. The point is, if you have time for a typical hour long sitcom on TV, I would encourage you to set aside an hour and read a book from start to finish. The longest book of the Bible, Psalms, which I don't know that I've actually ever read Psalm 1 through Psalm 150 in one sitting. If I have, I don't recall. But it'll take you about five hours. That's obviously quite the endeavor. But that's an an outlier. Most of these books you could actually read in a given setting. It's amazing what you'll get if you just read it from start to finish. And I want to encourage you to start at the beginning of the book. Move sequentially through it. Don't just cherry pick out chapters because you'll you'll lack context. You won't understand what you're reading. I wonder how many of you have ever tried this. I want to encourage you, if you want to like spice up your Bible reading and just kind of give it a, a fresh breath of air... Consider reading it in new or different translations. We preach from the ESV, so I trust a great many of you, if not most of you, have an ESV Bible. Perhaps that's what you read from most mornings. Change it up. I've tra- done this over the last five or seven years where I went from the English Standard Version to the Christian Standard Bible to the uh, King James. Man, that was I was like preaching with these and those and those uh, while I was going through that devotionally. Uh, I even went with a paraphrase and read one uh, six-month period, The Message, which is not really a translation of the Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible, but it was actually pretty eye-opening because the truth is this scholar, a gentleman named Eugene Peterson who wrote it, it's actually amazing to consider why he made the decisions he made when it came to his paraphrase of all the given verses. It was an interesting experience for me. If you have been reading one version for a long time, maybe you have an old NASB or an old NIV, you read a lot change it up. That's one way that it might refresh you. Read it creatively. How many of you have ever tried listening to the Bible? One great gift we have in this technological age is that audio Bibles are widely available. In fact, if you are a member of Hickory Grove, I don't know if you know this, members of Hickory Grove have been purchased by us a subscription. All members can go to our website and get a free membership to an audio Bible subscription entitled Dwell, D-W-E-L-L. If you're unfamiliar with it, write that word down and go look it up on our website. It is professional, excellent recordings of the Bible. If you have a commute, that's a good way to redeem the commute. If you like to go on morning walks and you have some headphones, it's a good way to redeem morning walks. If you need something to listen to while you're mowing the grass or to have playing in your bathroom while you're getting ready for the day. It's a tr- they have reading plans even scheduled on there. Dwell is not the only app, by the way. There's other uh, ways to listen to audio Bibles. But that's a tremendous way because the truth is, do you realize most Christians throughout history were not literate? They didn't have access to it. And if, even if they were literate, they couldn't afford a Bible because the printing press wasn't even around to the 1500s and then Bibles were in, or books in general were insanely expensive the first several hundred years. And so most Christians throughout the ages, they got their Bible by somebody reading it to them, typically the pastor or the priest. And so you're actually engaging in a practice that's as old as the history of the Christian church. Try listening to the Bible. Or this might strike some of you as odd, Have you ever considered reading it out loud? Now, if you don't want to sound like a maniac where you're downstairs alone in your room reading the Bible out loud, maybe you could read it out loud to your children. It's a great practice to get the Bible in your home and in your own heart. But the truth is, sometimes reading out loud is actually a good way to help you stay focused and on track. It slows you down. It makes you think about the words. Sometimes I pray out loud by myself, I usually try to do it when my wife and daughter are asleep upstairs so that don't don't look like I'm kind of being crazy. But it's a good way for me to stay engaged. Try reading the Bible out loud. And then lastly, y'all need to genuinely schedule your Bible reading. You've heard it so many times, but it bears repeating that failing to plan is planning to fail. And that is just true about anything in life. If you don't plan your Bible reading, it probably won't happen. So I want to encourage you, not only should we... Read thoughtfully, read creatively, try one of these things. I also want to thirdly encourage you to read patiently. Patiently. How many of you have found this to be true that when you read the Bible, you try it, it gets hard, you feel like you're failing, you don't know what you're reading, so you give up and you just settle for a little devotional? Happens all the time. There's some great devotional on your shelf, you're like, this is easier. It's bite size. It makes sense. I feel like I get something out of that. I don't get something out of my Bible reading. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to read the Bible just a little bit more patiently. Be patient. Here's what I mean. The Bible is hard. It, It does take work. And so I want to encourage you to first be patient with yourself when you're reading the Bible. Like all skills, it's going to take time to master the discipline. So don't expect yourself to be understanding everything you read right out of the gate. It may indeed take years. By the way, just a little insight behind most pastors. Most pastors, Clint and I included, rarely do we come to any passage of scripture and immediately say, yeah, we get that. Y'all know that when it comes to writing sermons, Clint and I typically spend on average 12 to 20 hours a week writing those sermons. It's not like we sit down and scribble it down on a piece of paper in an hour and a half. Why is that? I mean, Clint's been preaching since I was in kindergarten. He should be able to do this quicker now, right? I always like to remind him of his age gap for me. <laughs> it's because the Bible's hard. It takes work. And so I want to encourage you guys, be patient with yourself. It's, it's meant to be hard. And then also, I want to encourage you to be patient with the Bible itself. Recognize that that's not the Bible's problem. It's really our finite minds problem. So when you're coming to the Bible and you're not immediately understanding it, don't blame the Bible for being somehow, some way inferior to a devotional. God in his infinite wisdom has inspired it the way it is written for us for a reason. And so say, God, oh, please, would you open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your word? Read patiently. I want to encourage you additionally, number four, read selectively, selectively. Now, how many of you guys have found this to be true, that when it comes time to shop for anything, it helps if you know what you're looking for? For example, you move to a new city, you need to buy a house. It's really hard to find a house in a city you're unfamiliar with because you don't know what to look for. You don't know what neighborhoods are good or what areas you want to avoid. You just kind of feel blind. You're not quite sure this house looks nice, but then you realize, man, I should have paid attention to that. If you're not a home inspector or not a contractor, you don't really know what you're even looking for in the house and that real estate agent you feel like is just making you kind of gloss over a a painfully apparent thing, but you just don't quite know what to look for. Maybe when it comes to a car, you don't know quite what to look for. I mean, it looks nice. It looks nice. (laughs) I got nothing else. I don't know. It's got four wheels. It takes gas. Okay, I don't, is that good? It helps if you know what to look for. And this is the same thing with the Bible. When it comes to going through the Bible, oftentimes one of the reasons we feel so lost is because we don't know what we're looking for when we read it. You just kind of feel like, well, it feels overwhelming. There's a thousand things to consider here, and I don't know what I should be paying attention to, which is why I want to encourage you to read selectively When you're looking at the Bible in the same way that you know what to look for in a house or you know what to look for in a car or maybe you husbands when you go to the grocery store, isn't it a lot easier when your wife tells you not only what to buy, but where to find it in the grocery store? I require Lauren to give me aisle instructions. Otherwise, it will take three times as long for me to find anything in Harris Teeter. So, too, when it comes to shopping or in the Bible, it's going to be helpful for you to read selectively and to know what should I be asking now, you guys have heard of the five W's and the H. I'm going to give you a few more. I'm giving you some W's, an H, and a S. I want you to first consider, ask who? When you come to the Bible, just ask, who's involved here? So, for example, this Sunday, I'll actually be preaching all three services. So I'll see most of you this Sunday at Harris Campus. And I'll be preaching our next text in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 8 and verse 22. I've asked Christina to put it on the screen. You guys will get a little sneak peek of my study for the week. I just want you to consider, as we're reading Mark 8, beginning in verse 22, just ask, who? So, right now, Jesus is talking. They. Who's the they? You should ask. Who's they talking about? Now, I did the study already, so I can tell you that the they is Jesus and his disciples. They came to Bethsaida, and some people, who are the some people, it's unclear who, they brought to him a blind man. Okay, do we know anything about this blind man? And they begged him to touch him. Okay, so we've now established who's talking and to whom is being spoken. Jesus and his disciples talking to this blind man. Now, ask another question. When you're coming to the Bible, you should not not only ask who, ask what? What's going on here? Well, as the story continues in Mark 8 and verse 22 and following, you'll see that Jesus ends up healing this blind man. He spits on his eyes. He lays his hands on him and he says, do you see anything? Now stop. We've seen miracles like this before. He's healed blind men. He's even spit on some people before, but it gets weirder. In fact, this is an unprecedented miracle, because go to the next verse, Christina. It says, the man looks up and says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Now, immediately you might be thinking, Jesus, did you screw up? You didn't heal him all the way. And what does Jesus do next? Jesus lays his hands on him again, a second time. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So now the what is, all right, Jesus is with some disciples talking to a blind man. And the what is, he healed the guy, but oddly, and I want to know why, he healed the guy in two stages. He's never done that before. Every time Jesus just speaks, people are healed. I mean, one time a woman just touched him at the hem of his garment, and she was healed. He didn't even see her. Why didn't he heal him when he spat in the guy's eyes and put his hands on his eyes? That what should really make us say there's something more going on here. Ask the what? Who? What? When? When is this happening? Well, I don't have the text on the screen for you, but if you were to zoom out and look at the whole chapter of the Gospel of Mark, you'd realize something interesting is happening in this story. Jesus heals this guy right after he looked at all the Pharisees and the disciples and said, seeing you do not see. You guys see partly, but you don't see fully. You think you can see, but you can't really see. And then he illustrates it by healing a guy who starts to see partially but doesn't see fully. And then he comes back and gives him full final sight at last. It's critical to ask who, the what, the when, the where is important. He heals in a city called Bethsaida. That's where he had fed the 5,000. That's where Andrew and... Nathaniel possibly, Philip were from there. Some of his disciples grew up in this town. That's an interesting factoid. Who, what, when, where, why? That's the big question. And I'm not going to answer the why because otherwise you're not going to come hear me preach on Sunday. The why is my sermon. Why did he do this? Y'all see if you can figure out and then come fact check me on Sunday from the pulpit. And then how? How did he do it? Well, spitting is an odd thing. Why would he spit when he could have just spoken and healed it? But to me, the most critical question of all, this is what makes a good sermon a good sermon, in my opinion. Pastors often answer who, what, when, where, why, how, but they don't answer this last question. And it is this last question that, in my judgment, makes a sermon sing. It's what makes a sermon feel applicable. And that is answering, so what? Any of you ever heard a well-meaning Sunday school teacher just throw up all kinds of amazing factoids on the passage? And you feel like you are now an expert in ancient Near Eastern history of Israel, but you you leave and you're wondering, so so what? I mean, I, I know it's the Bible, I'm supposed to like this, but what's the point? Am I what was I supposed to how is this supposed to help me love my wife better or serve my church better or honor Christ more? I know I'm honoring Christ with my mind. Is that the whole point? Was that it? I just need to it's good to know things about God full stop, and that is true. But a good message always establishes in light of everything we've learned, so what? What's the point? Why did God inspire that? Especially when the uh, evangelist John tells us that Jesus did so many things that all the books in the world could not contain his acts. If that's true, which of course it is, then why on earth was that story recorded for us? Because that means Jesus intended for that simple story to be one that would echo through the ages. What's its importance? So what? Answer the so what. And I'm not going to tell you that one either because you've got to come back Sunday to hear it. So what? Learn to read selectively. I want you to also consider reading prayerfully. Now, I don't mean this. Lord, would you bless my time of Bible reading? In Jesus' name, Amen which is wonderful. You should do that. I start every morning when I read the Bible, I pray. I think I've told you this. I read Psalm, I pray Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. I prayed every morning. But that's not what I mean when I say read prayerfully. What I mean is it's somewhat unusual. How many of you found that when you pray, your mind wanders really quickly? And so praying beyond a minute feels like a marathon? just your mind wanders. One of the greatest things that's ever reinvigorated my prayer life is learning to pray the Bible. And here's what that looks like. I open up my Bible. Typically I go to the Psalms. I find them the most easy to pray through. And I'll start reading the Psalm. And as I read the Psalm, I will pray in light of what I'm seeing. So for example, everybody famously knows Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Lord, oh, I pray that you would bless me. Bless me to be the man my wife needs. Would you bless me to be the father my daughter needs? I do not want to walk in the way of sinners. I do not want to, oh, forgive me, Lord, for being a scoffer. I don't think I'm sitting in the seat of scoffers, but I all too often act like it. Sometimes I just mock, and it's just a sign of my flesh. Forgive me, O oh God. And then I just start reading again. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Forgive me, O oh God. I am not delighting. It feels like drudgery this morning. I, but I know I'm supposed to. So would you do a work in my heart? Help me to love what you love. Help me to remember anew. Restore to me the joy of my salvation as I read this. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Father, forgive me. I, I Not only do I not meditate on it day and night, I don't even read it day and night. Would you help me to not only take in your word, let me chew on it, meditate on it, let it roll around in my mind and heart throughout the day. Would you give me the discipline, O oh God, to take a, a firm grasp on a truth from your word and cling to it throughout the day? This is how I pray the scripture. And do you want to know what happens? What used to feel like a marathon to pray a minute, now you can find yourself praying five plus minutes and you don't know where the time went because you've got so much material to pray. It will reinvigorate your prayer life. Learn to pray, uh, read prayerfully. It will end up deepening your prayer life. It's going to help you end up meditating on the Bible as you pray. That is a wonderful gift. It's going to broaden your prayer life. How many of you guys find when you pray, you get into ruts? You pray the same thing every time. Lord, bless my husband, bless my grandchildren, help this issue, help my health. Jesus name. Amen. You like, it's just, you get in these ruts and you mean well, and the Lord hears you, but you just pray. Thank you, Lord, for this meal. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food sort of thing. You, You just get in a rut. Praying the Bible is a wonderful way to get you out of that rut at last. It will give you world without end, new material to pray. So read prayerfully. It'll not only deepen your prayer life, it'll broaden it And it'll strengthen it because you will find yourself praying, not my will, but yours be done. Because you're going to keep reading God's will and you're going to ask God to form your heart to what the psalmist's heart said. So I want to encourage you, really do prayerfully consider reading prayerfully. I want you to, sixthly, consider reading imaginatively. Imaginatively. When I first became a preacher, I committed a cardinal sin. I got up to the pulpit. I was a very young man, 19 years of age. And there was a great crowd gathered. There was about 400, which felt like, you know, it might as well have been the inaugural address for me. And I began to read the scripture. And I said, thus saith the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good one i 'll dwell in the parched places of the wilderness. I was nervous as I 'll get out. It was all I could do to like keep my knees from knocking and my pastor took me aside very graciously and he said, "Kyler, it is a grievous sin to make the Bible boring because it 's not. Read like you mean it, which the truth is, I think you guys know if anything, I probably need to choke it back I, I am I may, be many thing, if, I may not be many things as a preacher, but I, I don't think I'm typically boring. Usually I'm pretty dynamic. It's from teaching kid, kids all those years. And so I began to read the Bible the way I think it ought to be read, the way that I think, cursed is the man who trusts in God and makes his flesh. Now you can overdo it, I'll admit. But the truth is, if you can learn to actually read the Bible the way you would expect it to have been said out loud, it's amazing what that will do to you. That's why people love it when there's somebody who's well-trained as a communicator who preaches because it sounds like they believe what they're saying. That doesn't mean that people who don't sound like they believe what they're saying don't believe what they're saying. It just means they're not good at communicating their belief. So read it in a way where you actually sound like you believe what you're reading. A few ways you can do this imaginatively is if you just don't want to read it out loud like that and it's hard to like read it in your head that way, Maybe go read a paraphrase. So go get the message or the New Living Bible and just say, you know what? I want to know, how did that Bible render this passage? Because it's going to look quite different from your translation of the Bible. It'll just give you a different take on that passage. Or here's something crazy. Now, this can go really wrong, so don't ever publish this for anybody. I want to encourage you to actually make your own paraphrase. Now, again, here's what I mean by that. If you want to slow down and really make sense of the Bible, try to write it in your own words. Probably burn it when it's done, but just write it in your own words. It'll make you slow down and think about every word you've read, and you have to say it differently. Try, if you were to try to rewrite John 3.16 to make it sound exactly like John 3.16 but using different words, not only is that kind of tough, it's going to make you slow down and really think okay, for God so loved the world that he gave his only... How would I communicate that in another way? So you have to think through the almighty God. He has such an unconditional affection for us that he paid the most amazing cost that I can never imagine paying. He gave his only child. Though it's a different way of saying that. It, it's not a good way of re-saying it, but it actually slows you down and makes you think about every word. It's a good way to imaginatively meditate on the Bible. Read imaginatively. Seventh, I want to encourage you to read meditatively. Meditatively. Y'all know what the word meditation is? You grammar English teachers may know what an onomatopoeia is. An onomatopoeia is a word that makes the sound it is describing. So, for example, cock-a-doodle-doo. There are no roosters on God's green earth that actually wake up and say, cock-a-doodle-doo. They, you know, whatever the noise is. And it is our feeble attempt to put into English the sound we hear. Dogs actually don't go rough or bark. They make a noise, and that's our feeble attempt to put into words the noise they make. The pig doesn't go oink. It goes. The cow doesn't go moo. It moos. How do you do it? I'm not doing it. I already saw some of you... uh, this is on video. I'm forgetting that this is going to be here 20 years from now. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Well, the interesting thing is a, the word meditation is itself an onomatopoeia. That word in the original language actually is making the sound of chewing. It is a word that actually, if you knew the original language, it evokes this sense of a cow chewing its cud, mulling over again and again. And that's what it means to Meditate. To meditate is to chew on, to ruminate on the word. It's to not just quickly swallow it, it's to savor it. It's to think about it. It's to squeeze every last drop of nutrients out of it. So how can you read meditatively? How can you be, as the famed Psalm 1 describes, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How do you become that man or woman? Well, here's a few ways. One way you can learn to read the Bible meditatively, this is going to scare some of you, but honestly, try memorizing portions. There is no better way to meditate on the Bible than to hide it in your heart. Now, I recognize that memorizing is not for the faint of heart. There are innumerable uh, resources out there to help you start slow and learn to memorize. I'll admit Memorizing the Bible is hard for me. It was way easier for me when I grew up in Awana as a child. I could flat burn through an Awana book as a kid. Now, I mean, it's hard enough for me to remember what I had for lunch, much less memorize the Bible. So a few ways that I would encourage you to do it. Perhaps the most critical skill when it comes to memorizing the Bible is find a friend to hold you accountable. I found a friend a year ago to hold me accountable, to memorize the Bible. And do you want to know what happened? I think some of you maybe even saw it on social media. I just finished a month or two ago memorizing the book of Ephesians. I thought it was going to take me four months. It took me 13 months, so be encouraged. It's not easy. But I only made it through those six chapters because I had a friend who was holding me accountable and we would recite it one to the other almost every week to help us ensure that we are making progress. You need somebody to hold you accountable. Find a skill, wear your own armor. Whatever works for you will work for you. I have a system that works for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. Go try out some different tips that you'll see online, but try memorizing portions. That is a tremendous way to get it in your heart and mind. It's, in other words, hiding it in your heart. But if you can't memorize it or for whatever reason you don't have time to, At the very least, one way you can read meditatively is is do whatever it takes to retain it. To retain it. Now, how do you retain what you read? There are many ways you could do this. For example, tomorrow morning you wake up, you do your devotion, you read one of the Psalms. And the truth is, if all you do is you read through that passage, you pray and thank God for it, you close your Bible Give it 30 minutes. If I were to come find you, you would be hard-pressed to tell me anything you read. You may remember the reference. You'd be hard-pressed to actually tell me anything in it because you didn't actually retain anything. So how do you retain what you read? There are a bunch of ways you could do this, but here's a couple simple ones. One might be when you finish reading, think of something a truth that God revealed in that text that you can take away and figure out a way to take that truth and hold on to it. One way is to text it to somebody you love. Maybe you have a son and you are going to make it a habit every morning to text your son or daughter or spouse or mother and say, here is something God blessed me with this morning. Now you have a written record of what you took away. You've blessed somebody else with it. Or maybe you're in an accountability group And in that accountability group, you guys hold one another accountable to read the Bible. So instead of just saying, I read Psalm 19 today, you say, I read Psalm 19 and here's what I learned today. Just a sentence. That's a simple way to take something away. Or maybe you're more old school and you want to get out a little piece of paper and write down something you took away and put it on your dashboard or put it on your uh, bathroom mirror. You wear your own armor but do what it takes to retain that which you invested in at the beginning of your morning. Read, in other words, meditatively. Eighthly, I want you to consider reading purposefully. Now, here's what I mean by that. Does anybody know, I haven't really covered this too much yet. Does anybody know when you come to the Bible, what's the one major thing you should be looking for? When you read the Bible and you want to understand it, there's one thing you should try to figure out above everything else. Let me tell you what it's not. The one major thing, the one great purpose you should have when it comes to understanding the Bible is not, what does this mean to me? Because the truth is, I don't care what it means to you. You shouldn't care what it means to me. Because I am not your great high priest. I am a wicked sinner who happens to be a pastor. That's it. You should never listen to a pastor or a Sunday school teacher just because you think they're smart or eloquent. Never. The only authority I, Clint, or any person has is if we hold up this Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. So it's not what it means to me. The one great purpose is what does it mean now who determines what it means? God himself. So how do you figure out what God means? You have to figure out what did the author of that book originally mean when he wrote this? When I'm reading Romans, which was written by Paul, your great question every time you open the book of Romans is what did Paul mean here? He was inspired by the spirit He had a brain. He was writing this down. What did he mean? And figure out with all the tools at your disposal, what did he mean here? Well, how do you do that? How do you figure out what Paul meant? Well, let me give you two very broad things to consider as you're trying to figure out, well, what does the author mean? Well, one way is look for, this is going to sound very schoolish, I get it, but but, uh, hang with me. Look for grammatical clues. Here's what I mean. When you go to the Bible, I want you to consider, all right, well, the Bible is inspired of God, which means it's not just a book that came from God. It's a book of words that came from God. Every word in all the Bible is inspired by God, which means I need to not only care what does Romans mean, I need to understand what that one word in verse 3 means. Of chapter two of the book of Romans means, because every word of the Bible is inspired by God. So, to understand what the author means, is you start actually looking at the very words. You should take individual words seriously. If you don't know what a word means, don't just move on. Stop and figure out I don't know what justification means, I don't know what soteriology means. What does this word mean? You go find a resource to get an answer to it. That's the first thing. If you want to know what the author meant, you need to look for some grammatical clues. You could also look for, secondly, for lack of a better word, some literary clues. Like, well, what's happening geographically? What's happening in terms of the history right now? Where is the story taking place? You're reading, for example, the story of David and Goliath. Well, if I want to make sense of David and Goliath, I need to know where this fits in the big story. I know geographically it's in the Valley of Elah, but... What's happening here? Okay, so David's the, he's not the king yet. So Saul's the king. He's about to become the king. Help me make sense of start putting all the pieces together. Look for any literary clue you can. Make it your goal to figure out what the author means. Now, let me put a time out here. Before you glaze over and say, wave the white flag, Kyler, I'm out. I'm not going to be able to do this. Hang in there. The next four weeks, we're going to learn together how to figure out what the author meant. But before we do that, let me just conclude with a couple, a couple simple uh, skills when it comes to reading. I want you to ninthly consider with me, read telescopically. Y'all know what a telescope is? So a telescope, it literally like, you know, you use the word telescopes out. It's something that you can pull out like this. And when you look through it, it'll help you zoom in really close on something that's otherwise very far away. Well, the truth is when we read the Bible, it's like we have a telescope out and we've zoomed in really closely on one little verse. But the problem is, if all you do is look through that telescope and you never look around, you may forget that what you're looking at is just one tiny speck in a great wide expanse of nighttime sky. So the telescope, though it is helpful to zoom in, You need to zoom out and get a greater picture of everything around it to appreciate what you're looking at. So when it comes to reading the Bible, we're zoomed in on a verse. I want to encourage you to start zooming out whenever you read a verse. Where does this fit in the paragraph? Now, where does this fit in the section? Now, where does this fit in the chapter? Now, where does this fit in the book? Where does this fit in the whole Bible? If you learn to zoom in and out, unbelievable riches will be unfolded for you. If you don't, you will be that person who misses the forest for the trees. You'll be fixated on a particular tree, and before you know it, you'll have all these theories about the tree when if all you had done was taken one step back, and you're like, oh, of course. That's ridiculous. I forgot that that was but a little tree in a great big forest. Now it all makes more sense. Have you guys noticed this to be true in life, that oftentimes... We fail to have proper perspective, and so we make big things out of small things. How many of you in your marriage have really gotten bent out of shape over something with your spouse? He just didn't do something again. And because you're so fixated on that, you've got tunnel vision in that moment that your wife is just not doing what you want her to do, that you start making something bigger than it needs to be. What was truly a molehill is now a mountain. And if you had just paused and taken a step back and got perspective and realized, you know what? She's a wonderful gift from God. Yeah, she might have this chink in the armor, but that is but a chink. She is a wonderful, look at all the wonderful things she does. How could I sum up her total character in this one little moment? You just take one step back and you're like, okay. I have perspective now. This helps, this applies with the Bible. When you're zoomed in, just just telescope out for a second. And when you do, my friends, it's amazing how much you'll gain when you read the Bible. Let me give you one tenth and final principle, and this may be the most critical of it all. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that you would read the Bible consistently. I have three. Takeaways for you. You ready for this? Underscore each of them, highlight them, may they be seared to your soul. Don't stop reading. What's so wild about the Bible, and I've used this illustration before, so forgive me if you've heard it. What's so wild about the Bible is that it's actually not that hard to read the Bible. We own one, we all have air conditioned, heated homes. Most of us can read, I trust. It's not hard, right? But have you found that though it's not actually hard, sometimes it feels impossible? Have you found that no matter all of your best efforts, it's like the Bible just magnetically keeps going back to that one shelf and it just stays there collecting dust till next Sunday and you grab it again? Have you found how ridiculous it is, how... You know this, you're amening me in your heart as I preach this, but you know that tomorrow morning you're not going to pick it up. And next Wednesday you're going to be all over again thinking, you know what, I really need to become more of a student of the Bible. Let me conclude with just a simple illustration. For many of you it may be a reminder, but for years when I taught children here, I often would take a Bible and ask any of the kids, how many of you in this room think you're strong enough to pick this Bible up? And usually there's some brawny fifth grader that wants to show off to all the girls. He's like, I can pick it up, Pastor Kyler. And so I'd set my Bible on the ground in front of the gathered crowd and I'd invite that brawny fifth grader to come up and he's going to show how strong he is by picking up that Bible. And right as he reaches down to pick up the Bible, and by the way, I've pumped the crowd up and all the kids are like, yeah, he can do it. It's amazing how excited they could get over something as ridiculous as this. And right as he reaches down to pick up the Bible, I put my foot on it. And though, if you've known me, a lot of you call me, uh, you know, the incredible shrinking man. I have lost 40 pounds in the last year. I still have enough weight that there is no child that is going to be able to get that Bible out from under my foot when I press my weight down. And all of a sudden, that brawny fifth grader who thought he could do something so simple, what looks so painfully simple, is now literally impossible. And it's an illustration that so many of us in this room have forgotten, that tomorrow morning, the reason that Bible is going to be so hard for you to pick up is that you have forgotten that there is an enemy who wages war with your soul and has his foot on it. That there is a real enemy who is resisting you. He knows that the way God has revealed himself to you is through a book. And so he is working overtime to ensure that you don't want to read, that you don't have time to read, that you don't know enough to get out of it, that you just don't have the ability to do it. He is going to resist you. And so my friends, my earnest prayer for you as we conclude tonight is you must remember that God has spoken to you and he has done so in his word. It is incumbent upon us as believers to take up the Bible and read it. And tomorrow morning, the battle begins the second you wake up. Put on the whole armor of God God, and wield that sword of the Spirit, recognizing that there is an enemy who doesn't want you to do it. You open that Bible, you read it, and ask God to open your eyes to behold wonderful things from His Word. You can understand the Bible if you learn to see and if you learn to read. You come back next Wednesday, and we're going to learn a third skill, which I dare say might be the most critical of them all. You'll have to wait next Wednesday to find out what it is. I'll see you then. Why don't you join me as we pray, and we'll call it a night. Father in heaven, I'm asking now that you would, in my life and in my friends' lives gathered here tonight, make us men and women who do our best to present ourselves to you as workers, approved unto God who have no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing your word of truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.